It's really good to see your faces this morning, hear your voices as we sing together. Uh, today's a good day already. Thank you for being here to worship with us. If you will, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Isaiah 6. Hey, listen to me. We're going to have the words on the screen, but I need you to humor me this morning. If you will, take out your copy of God's Word and open it. If you don't have a copy like this, will you take out your phone? How many times is a pastor going to tell you to use your phone in church? Take out your phone. Um, even download the scripture. There's something you got to see this morning. And the words are going to be on the screen, but it's not going to do it justice. And I need you to see it for yourself, even if you have to move over and share with somebody next to you. Uh, I need you to have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. We're going to continue our uh, journey about worship this morning uh, called Unceasing. This, this series has been on worship. Uh, I think this is the fifth week that we've been on it. And the title of the message is Heavenly Worship. So we're going to be in Isaiah 6. Go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word. If you need to download it, you're going to have a little bit of time before we read it. So... Download you version. If you need to, I'll be preaching from the Christian Standard Bible if they allow you to select a version on whatever app you have. So a few weeks ago, uh, actually it was before Christmas, it was the first Christmas message, I think, that we preached this year. I uh, talked to you about a friend of mine named Chad Powell, um, who was pretty much my lifelong best friend. Uh, he worked for us a few years on the farm when we were farming. And after that, he began uh, flying a crop duster. And uh, we lost him in an accident, a crop duster accident. And um, one of the things that I really miss about my friend is how our relationship was built on pranks. Like, I'm a prankster, he was a prankster, um, and we like to goof with each other. He was horrified of snakes. I'm scared of snakes, I don't like snakes, but he was like trembling, crippled with fear, scared of snakes. So when I would kill a cottonmouth in the rice field, you know, I'd kind of haul it out on my shovel and act like I'm going to pitch it on him, and he would get mad at me and yell, and I would laugh, and... That's kind of how our relationship was. We would pick at each other, get mad at each other, then laugh at each other. Well, after he started flying, I was still farming. And one day I was floating in a tractor. Now, let me explain to you what that means if you're not farming familiar. Uh, when you see a tractor pulling that long yellow or orange thing that goes away. It's not very wide, but it's real long. That's, that's a float. Um, that's what I was doing that day. That was the thing that I hated the most about farming. I hated floating because it felt like you could throw a rock as far as you had been that day. Uh, just boring. Uh, it was early one morning. I was floating in a field. I remember exactly where I was in the field that I was floating. I was half asleep tired, bored, had the radio on, I'm going to the other side of the field, and all of a sudden, my radio starts drowning out, 
and I hear something, and it's a loud noise, and the tractor starts shaking, like, and, and I'm thinking, I'm, man, something, something, I'm going to blow up. What's going on? And it kept on getting louder, and my radio kept on getting more drowned out, and the tractor started shaking some more. I mean, the tractor's literally shaking going down through there, and, and it scared me, like it horrified me. I, I was a deacon at the time. I got three letters into a bad word, though, when it was going on. I confessed and repented. But then all of a sudden, it was over. And I was like, what, what in the world? Well, I kept on going, and I looked in my mirror that shows behind me, and I saw a crop duster. And then I got a phone call, and it was Chad. He had gotten right over the top of my tractor. I didn't see him coming, and then he turned the plane straight up and blew all that force down on me and the tractor, and, and it, I could feel it more than I could hear it. And maybe you've seen something like that. One year we were at the beach, and the Blue Angels flew up. It, we weren't at a show. We were just on the beach, and, I mean, we're sitting there, and, and all of a sudden we, like, feel the planes come. We can't find them. We're, like, looking in the sky. I mean, we, you can kind of hear them, and, but you can, you can feel it more than you can hear it. And finally, we saw the planes, but it, it's, it's incredible how that noise is so loud and powerful that you can feel it as much or more than you can hear it. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. Seraphim were angels. They're only mentioned in Isaiah. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound, at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean, unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that, had, that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Did you see that? Isaiah, this is a familiar passage. It's a famous passage, but Isaiah has this vision. We know it's a, a vision. We know it's a dream. We know it's not literal because he sees God and we can't see God. God is spirit. 
But he gets this glimpse of what heaven may be like, is like. And, and he sees these angels that are called seraphim. And they're, they're gigantic. They're powerful. When they say to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the foundations of heaven tremble. This is not a chubby, valentine, diaper-wearing baby angel. This rascal is big. When, when, when they speak, heaven shake. It, the, the scripture does not say God shook the foundations. It says, at the sound of the seraphim's voice, the foundations shake. You can feel it as much as you can hear it. It's like a blue angel, but bigger. But did you see what else it said? As big as they are and as powerful as they are and as, as, as loud as they are and as scary looking and as scary as their presence is, God has given them six wings. But they can't use but two of them to fly. Because in His presence, as big and as holy and as perfect and as scary as they are, in the presence of the one on the throne, they have to cover their faces and say, don't let me near Him. And they have to cover their feet and say, I, I, I need to be protected from Him and I'll just use two of the six that you've given me to fly. The seraphim are impressive. The seraphim are scary, they're bigger than us, they're holier than us. But they ain't nothing in the presence of the one on the throne. Amen. Wow. Wow. The first observation I want us to see about heavenly worship this morning is heavenly worship is always Jesus-centered. We have to go back a little bit. Um, Rebecca, if you don't mind, will you put those, those first verses up here? I, I want you all to see something that's so critical about these scriptures. But the first thing that Isaiah says is, in the year that King Uzziah died, now that was, that was a way that they dated occurrences in history. So they would take a, uh, a well-known person and they would say in the year that this person was born or in the year that this person had died and they would date this writing using that. But that's not all that Isaiah is doing here. It's, it's, it's too close. It's too close. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. You get what he's saying? So Uzziah, Uzziah was a good king. He, did, he had some blunders, but Uzziah, in the history of Israel, Uzziah was a good king, and he was probably the only king that Isaiah knew in his lifetime, and a lot of other people that were living. He had a long tenure. He was a good king, a long-standing king, and Uzziah died. And it probably would have put some turmoil among the people 
But Isaiah sees this vision and he says, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God on his throne. So it's like he's saying, the king is dead, but long live the king. Uzziah was a good king. We're thankful for Uzziah. God is still king. God is still on the throne. Listen to me, friends. Listen to me. At creation, just like Isaiah describes, God was on his throne. When, when the people of Israel said, God, give us a king. We need a king. Everybody else has a king. You're not enough for us. We need a king. Give us a king. And God gave them Saul. God was still on a high and lofty throne. When David was king and he, he was a good king, he was a really bad king, God was still on his throne. When Columbus came across the ocean and discovered new land, God was on his throne. During the Civil War, when people were killing each other, brothers killing brothers, God was on his throne. Last year, God was on his throne. When, when COVID hit, God was on his throne. And today, God is still on a high and lofty throne. Heaven is centered around this throne and all eyes are on the one on the throne. It's all about him. And when we, when we worship Jesus, when we say Jesus is over all, Jesus is most important, nothing else matters other than Jesus. He's the king that matters. We worship the king. It is heavenly worship. A lot of things may come and go, but when Jesus is on the throne, we worship like heaven worships. There's something else that happens, and this is what you need your copy of the scriptures for. I need you to see this. This is so important. In verse 1, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Now look at that word, Lord, in your copy of God's word. It should be written just like it is right there on the screen. L-O-R-D. Is that right? Just like that. This word means Adonai. It was, it was a word that represented authority over me, but still in relationship to me. You with me? So... So God is this, Jesus is this. This is what the disciples called Jesus when he was walking the earth, Adonai, Lord. But it's, it's similar, not quite, but it's similar to the way we use ma'am and sir. It is, it, is, it is respect, it is authority. I'm recognizing that authority over me, but you're still in relationship with me. Okay? We together? Now look at what the seraphim said. Uh, verse 3. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Do you see that word in your copy of God's word? It's different. Same word, but different. Do you see it? It says, now up there it says capital all the way across, but that's a little mis misrepresentative. It should look like this in your copy. It's, it's capitalized words for y'all over there. 
Can y'all see it? It's capitalized letters, but, but small. You see that? Like up here, it's all capitalized, but big. When you see that word in the, in the scriptures, that's different than Adonai. This is the name. Y-H-W-H. This is the name above all names. This is Yahweh. But actually, it was Y-H-W-H. People added the A and the E in between those letters because it was an unpronounceable word. It's a word that nobody said. They didn't say Yahweh. They said, um, we're going to go serve the name. Um, it's, it's the name represented when Moses sees God in the burning bush. And he says, but God, when I go to these people, who, what, who, who do I say sent me? They, I need to be able to tell them somebody sent me, sent me. And he says, I am who I am. I am. Tell them I am sent you. That's Y-H-W-H. This is not Adonai. This is creator God. This is, uh, this is the big stuff. This is uh, when, when the scribes were recording the scripture. They would be using a pen. They'd be listening to somebody uh, tell them what the scriptures are saying. They're writing it down. And they would get to Y-H-W-H and they would lay one pen down and pick up another and write Y-H-W-H and they would throw that pen away. And they would pick the pen back up because this name is special. And in this instance, Isaiah is calling God, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai. He's over me, but in relationship to me. And the seraphim are calling him creator God above all. Kirk told me this week that they, that they I think he's right about this, they, they found a new planet. Like, how does that, oh, we found another one. That's Y-H-W-H. We will never discover the depths of who this God is. You can know him, but you won't know all of him. He's too big. But he's also in relationship to us. When you look at this board, you may think, man, this is such a miracle. This is crazy that this God is as, is as big as he is. It's miraculous that this God, he's creating planets that we haven't found yet. He has created them. Years ago, he created planets that we haven't found yet with all of our technology. That's him. But listen to me. As miraculous and incredible as this is, when you begin to scratch the surface of Yahweh, this is more miraculous. That he wants relationship to us. And in heaven, in heaven, he is being worshipped because he is YHWH, the name, the one above all, creator God, massive, uncomprehendable. But he is at the same time being worshipped. That he wants relationship with us. And heavenly worship for us looks just like that. We worship God because he's so big. He's so incredible. He's made so much that we can't comprehend. But we also worship him. That he pursues us in relationship. Adonai.
peep this. Isaiah clarifies that he sees God on his high and lofty throne. And he says, the hem of his robe fills the temple. Now, don't skip over that. Read that. Check that out. The temple in this time would have been the most remarkable building that any human could ever build. And he's saying, friends, what I saw, the edge of his clothes filled it up. Are you with me? The edge of God's clothes is bigger than anything we can do. Incredible vision from Isaiah. But one thing's for sure. In heaven, Jesus is central and everything revolves around him. And we, we jack it up when we massage our opinions in relation to our worship. We, we think that our opinions are um, just opinions. But, but when, when Christ is, is on His throne next to an opinion of ours, it messes up our worship. It is always, it has to be Christ-centered. I'm not talking about the world's opinions. I am, but not just that. I'm not talking about your opinions. I am, but not just that. I'm talking about my opinions. Our opinions, everything, our traditions, everything that we are has to be over here, and God has to be magnified. He has to be central. He has to be 100% central. We can have our secondary things over here, but we don't massage him. He's always first. He's always last. He's always on the throne. He's central, and nothing else matters. When we worship like that, it's powerful. When we don't, it ain't. It's a lot of things, but powerful ain't one of them. The next thing I want us to see is that heavenly worship is always purifying. Isaiah sees this vision of God and and his first response is, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the Lord. And then he says, Yahweh. My eyes have seen YHWH. Some of you in this room, I really think that you are on the cusp of taking a step in your walk with the Lord Jesus where he saves you. I think think we're right here and, and we need to take one step And for the first time ever, say, God, I'm a sinner. And my only hope is in you. And I think one thing that may be holding you back in that is that, that you think when you take this step, when you step into 
uh, a relationship with Jesus, I think church people may be the problem for you. I think, I think you may be in your mind processing, you know, if I say I'm, I've trusted Christ and they bring that baptistry up there and I get in there and I go under the water and everybody claps and cheers for me, there's going to be this long list of expectations and rules on me and they're going to want me to never take a drink again and they're going to never want me to say a bad word when I kick the hitch on the back of my truck. Um, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, you know, have, I got to come to church every Sunday and they're going to call me up to pray and, and, and they may ha have me say something. I'm not comfortable with all that. And there's this long list of expectations that, that you think we're going to set on you. Can I, I want to tell you this morning, I don't feel any pressure, any pressure at all. If you are a unbeliever right now, I don't feel any pressure that if you make a decision to follow Jesus, to hand you a book of rules. I don't feel any pressure to do that. What I know will happen is if you genuinely step into the presence of God and you, and you continually and consistently step into the presence of God, He will do the work. He may find you extremely and extraordinarily broken and messed up. But if you step in the presence of God the first time and keep on doing that, I don't need to give you anything but the truth. He will change your life. We mess it up. We mess it up. I think we mess up brand new believers by forcing them into a book of rules. Discipleship's important. We should tell one another the truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying it's real when Jesus does it. And if it's real, he will do it. You don't need to feel any pressure because I don't. I don't need you to be perfect tomorrow. If you come up here and you trust the Lord, you stand up today, I need Jesus, um, and you mess up tomorrow, I expect that. But you keep getting in the presence of God. The coals come out in time. The coals are still coming out with me. Sometimes I go into the presence of God thinking, hey, God, will you put some coals on their lips? And he's like, let me doctor you a little bit. <laughs> Friend, please, 100% honest with you. You trust the Lord today. I will not be sending you a book of rules tomorrow. I want you to know Jesus. I'm not, I'm not pressured. I want you to know Jesus. That's all. I believe he's powerful enough to change you, no matter where you are. Last observation. Heavenly worship demands a response. Is it weird to you that in this scripture, Isaiah is standing in the presence of God. He confesses that he's a sinner and all of his people are a sinner. And the seraphim takes a coal from the altar and singes his lips. And when that happens, when his mouth is burned, when his mouth is shut, he hears the voice of the, of the Lord. Like you would think, hey, 
let me heal your ears. You need to hear better. But in heaven, let me fix your mouth. And then you hear better. I wonder if it was written today if God might send our fingertips and our mouths and say, stop talking. Listen a little bit. But anyways, they're, they're, they're standing there. Isaiah confesses before the Lord, gets his mouth singed, and all of a sudden he hears something. He hears God say, Who am I going to send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, it seems like it's in compulsion. He responds and he says, I'll go. He steps into it. And there's, there's something that is so critical about our worship that we need to understand here. There's something about the way God calls that we need to understand here. Because God didn't say, Isaiah, will you go? God spoke in a blanket statement waiting for somebody to step into what he has asked. And, and I think there's something kind of jacked up about the way we process God's calling sometimes. I've, I've heard people say, I've said it myself, if God wants me to do that, he's going to have to sit on that couch and ask me. God isn't always specific like that. As a matter of fact, most of the time he's probably not. He works in specific callings and he works in blanket callings. Specific is for um, a pastor, a missionary, a person who fosters, a person who adopts. He says, you do this. But he also works in blanket callings that are for everybody to obey in maybe several different ways. So this morning, I, I want us to think about, real quick, um, some blanket callings. And I want to write them on the board. Uh, yep, that's good. I want to think about some specific callings and blanket callings. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does it make sense? What are some specific callings and what are some blanket callings? Some are specific. Some are for individuals, some are for everybody. Tell me, help me out, preach the message. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. Kind of scared me a minute. I thought that was God. What did I do? What am I? Huh? Yeah, something like that. Youth pastor? That's specific. <laughs> Pray for that dude. Who are you going to marry? Yeah, you're not going to find that in the scripture. Yep. The scripture says some of you don't need to be teachers. Not some of the teachers. I mean, all the teachers that are called, you, you're great teachers. We love you. 
adoption, foster care. Tell me some blanket callings. Love one another. Thank you. Huh? One more time. Being a parent? Okay. Yep. 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 Man, we got to get repenting up there. Honor? Yeah. Yeah. Honor others. Good one. Worship? So, there is a specific calling to a pastor, but it's kind of in relation to witnessing. Not everybody's called to pastor, but everybody is called to witness to what God's done in our life. Fellowship. Is he trying to get out of getting grounded or? <laughs> no, that's a good one. Salvation. Singing. Yeah. I don't, but I'm thankful somebody does. So in the scripture, we have all of these things that we read over and over and over again. Love one another. And it doesn't say, Dustin, love others. It says, love one another. And that's, that's similar to how Isaiah's interaction with God was. God said, who will go for me? Who am I going to send? And Isaiah steps into that and says, I will obey. Listen to me. When God gives a blanket calling to us in the scripture and we simply obey, that is worship of King Jesus. That is heavenly worship of King Jesus. God may not have called you to adopt, but he has called you to love the fatherless. I don't know what that looks, for, looks like for everybody, but when I simply say, I, I, God, I don't know what this looks like, but I see your heart for the fatherless, and I want to serve the fatherless. God doesn't need to voice everything to us specifically because He has showed us so much in His Word and it says something about who He is to us and whether or not we do it. If I say, I read that in your Word, I heard that in a message, I saw that in the Scripture, and I don't care, that says something about our relationship and how we see Him. Or if we say, I see your heart. And that's for me. Here I am. I'll do it. It is better, 
Yes. This is heavenly worship over any song you'll ever sing. So, every message I've heard from Isaiah 6 has ended with verse 8. And in studying this week, I saw why. But I don't think it can. we got to finish the chapter. God gives Isaiah the calling, then he gives Isaiah the message. God replied, go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Then I, that's Isaiah, said, until when, Lord? And he replied, God replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people, the land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, having great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when failed, the holy seed is the stump. So Isaiah, I mean, I can't imagine being Isaiah. He sees this vision. God says, who will go? Who will I send? He says, go ahead, send me. It'd be great. Tell me what you want me to do. And God says, go, give them a message that will not get to their ears. It'll be a message that dulls their mind because I'm sick of them. Can you imagine being Isaiah thinking, man, that's great. You know, he's not going to be, they know pastor appreciation in October for Isaiah. It's a tough message. God has given these people years and years and years to surrender and worship to Him and only Him. And they have said, no, 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 I don't want you. I don't care about you. I don't care about you. And here is God sending the prophet Isaiah and the people have gone too far and He wants them to know it. And it is over. And he's saying, I'm going to give you a message that will not only cause them repentance, it's going to dull their ears more. I wish I didn't have to preach that to you this morning. Because I like to cut jokes and play pranks and everybody laugh. But this is serious. God does not owe us any opportunity to repent, but when he has given us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and we say no, and and we say no, and we say no, and I know better, and I don't care, and we continue to say no, 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 there comes a point where God starts saying, now I will make you say no. And you can have what you have earned. And friends, as... As much as, as I love, I don't want you to hear this as a, as a message of condemnation, but most of the time we wait till our lives get to Isaiah 9 through 13 before we care anything about Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 8. We, we wait until our lives are wrecked and then we say, oh God. 
Why? The application this morning, the first one is, is worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. Give all your worship to Jesus before it's too late. I don't, I don't know when that day is. I'm, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's not, that's not me, but I have to tell the truth to you. I can't stop at Isaiah 6, 8. There is a day when we don't answer the call that God says, okay, enough. And it is a form of judgment for God to step away from our lives. We think of judgment only as God raining fire in our lives, but that's not what this is. This is God removing His presence from the people of Israel. And that can happen in our own lives. Don't wait until your life has fallen into the pit to finally look up and say, Oh God, you are cool, good, and awesome. Worship Jesus. Offer Him your whole life right now. Application two, worship Jesus completely, even if it is too late. This week I was studying, and I read Isaiah 6, and I, I saw that the foundations of the doorways shook, and... Uh, asked a friend of mine to kind of explain to me what this looked like. And this was um, an ancient door, would, would be obviously a, a piece of metal or wood or something, and, but the hinges uh, were different. They weren't on the side of the door like most of the time you see doors now. There was a, a pipe that went into a hole in the ground and then a pipe that went into a hole in the ceiling, and that was the hinge for the door. So what this is describing is when... When the seraphim spoke, the foundation shook and the doors shook. And you can imagine just that sound that that would make, the pipe and the doors. And it kind of got me interested, uh, kind of nerdy pastor interested type stuff. Like maybe there's nothing there, but I want to know it even if it's not. So I started looking at some stuff and I thought about Acts chapter 16. Verse 25, and I want you to see this on the screen. This is Paul and Silas. They had been, been arrested for preaching the gospel. And they had been put in jail. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Does that sound like worship? And the prisoners were listening to him. That's kind of cool that they clarify that, that they weren't just singing to the air, but people were listening to the songs that the songs that were being sung about King Jesus. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations does that sound familiar from Isaiah six? Of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. Does that sound similar to Isaiah six to you? Shaking, foundations, doors. And I was talking to a couple of friends about this, and, and this is not from me, but they, they brought up this scripture from Matthew 27. You need to see this one too. The most incredible act of worship ever. Jesus cried out again with a loud vo voice and gave up his spirit. He just died on the cross. 
He said his last breath and he died as the most supreme act of worship. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn. Is a curtain kind of like a door that was like separating two spots? And it was torn from top to bottom. The earth quaked, there was shaking, and the rocks were split. If you're going too far, if you have gone too far, if your life is wrecked, I have good news. Now, it's good news from the scripture that there is a direct connection between worship, heavenly, true, right worship of King Jesus and closed doors being open and chains falling off. Now, let me tell you something. When your life is wrecked, you always want to try to fix these things that are around you and on this horizontal playing field. If I could fix the other person, it would be better. If I could change jobs, it would be better. Maybe I need to change churches, it'll be better. Maybe I need to do this, it'll be better. Maybe I need to put my kids in a new school. Maybe we need to buy a new house. Maybe we need to move to a new city. And we try to fix all this, all this outside right here. But until you stand and look up, until, until you begin to say, God, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a woman of unclean lips. But now I see you. Until that gets fixed, friends, I promise you, nothing's going to change. But when you look up, no matter where you are, there's hope for you. There's hope for closed doors to be open and ancient chains that have dug into the skin to fall off. This morning, I want to give you the opportunity to do whatever you need to do in response. If you have come here to worship this morning, true worship, heavenly worship demands it that we respond, and we will respond. Our response may be to walk out and never think about this again. But our response may be life-altering. For the first time ever, surrendering to King Jesus. He's worthy. If you have things going on in your life and you've tried to fix it in all these horizontal ways and this morning you've realized that that doesn't do anything and you need to work on your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't need to speak to me. Maybe you need to speak to the Father. That's totally fine. If you feel the need to pray publicly, sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes that's what God calls us to do. You can come down here. People did this last week. They came down here and they knelt at the stage and they used it as an altar to pray and say, God, take this. I'm done. You can do that. If you need to sit down in your seat while everybody else is standing and singing and just pray for, for, for forgiveness or for guidance or for you to have the courage to obey the blanket callings of God as an act of worship to him. Do that. If you need to stand up and for the first time ever trust Jesus, for the first time ever say, hey, I'm a sinner, 
Uh, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, uh, but my eyes have seen the Lord, and today I need to trust him for the very first time. If you want to do that this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. You've never trusted Jesus, but today you want to say, I need him. Would you stand up and do that this morning? We can help you know how. If you need to visit with me, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to step out in the lobby. We're going to sing another song. Then Sarah's going to close us out with announcements. But as we walk into this next song, even the announcements should be an act of worship to our God. Um, Do whatever he tells you to do. There's no shame in complete obedience to King Jesus. Father, we come to you this morning, and I'm so thankful that we have a picture of this vision that we can kind of understand. I know know it's probably not exact because you're so indescribable. I know Isaiah was seeing more in this this moment than uh, words can describe. We have to add letters to your real name that you call yourself just to be able to understand how to say it. We are so small and we acknowledge that and you are so big and we acknowledge that. We are thankful that you are creator God who speaks heaven and earth into existence and we are thankful that you are Adonai who pursues us in relationship to us. We worship you for both. God, I pray for those uh, that you have spoken to this morning. God, some of them may have made a profession of faith when they were three, five, seven, um, and didn't really understand who they were surrendering to, or maybe they didn't really understand who it was that they were surrendering. I, I knew who you were, but I didn't know who I was. Would you, would you give them the comfort and the courage and the confidence to step up and say, I need to trust Jesus? God, we don't want to be motivated out of fear, but we do need to be motivated out of truth. And I pray that it would land on us how you have consistently been good to us and blessed us and given us opportunity to worship you. May we worship you today like you deserve. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.